0: Our first message this afternoon is from Mr. Matthew Steele. His message is entitled First Fruits, Not Lent. Thank you, Ron. Uh oh. you ever have those days that nothing really seems to go right? (laughs) I'm having two of those days back-to-back, it seems like. Yesterday, I managed to uh, wake up in the morning with a massive headache, migraine, in fact. Stumbled into the kitchen, to the medicine cabinet, get the migraine medicine, took two, got ready for work, got to work, about 9.30, I'm sitting at my desk. What is going on? I'm starting to fall asleep. Happens a few more times. Like what is? What is going on? And then I uh, did a couple of things, and then it started to dawn on me. <coughs> what color were those pills that I took this to <laughs> morning? I took the sleep aid variety. And so, all I wanted to do was curl, curl up on the um, very convenient couch that I actually have at my office, and this is not good, so I struggled through the rest of the day as Brian, or the, half the day, as Brian can attest, and uh, went home after lunch, and it just seems like nothing's been quite right ever since. <laughs> but that is uh, kind of typical uh, about human nature, isn't it, and the world that we live in. We try our best. Uh, we do things deliberately, I- intentionally, trying to do right, and sometimes, in the midst of all that, we make a mistake, and we send us on a path that we weren't maybe expecting. And now we've got to deal with the situation. And fortunately, I was able to wake up to the fact that I was uh, in a, a drug-induced coma. But so often in life, we make, make a decision. Maybe if we make a collective decision and we move together towards a, uh, an objective, and then nobody actually stops to think, well, wait a second, is this even the right way to go? And we can look at the Christian faith and the many different varieties and flavors of said faith and see, it's easier to see in, in others anyway, where mistakes have been made. And where paths have been chosen and nobody woke up to the fact that uh, maybe we, we actually were sent down the wrong trajectory of this. Because um, what I want to talk about, as, as my title gives away a little bit, is kind of the comparison between what we have in Lent as opposed to the countdown to Pentecost. As, a co- as opposed to the Feast of first fruits. So tomorrow, for the broader Christian world, I believe I've got this right, it is, uh, or at least for you know, the Catholic or Anglican or Eastern Orthodox world, and, and even for larger other Pentecostal churches, it is Palm Sunday. Anybody know what Palm Sunday is? Really? Can- well, okay, yeah, Catholic. Um, does anybody know where Palm Sunday comes from? Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, which, you know, approximately a week or so before uh, before his sacrifice. So, we have Palm Sunday coming up. It's a celebration, and it's well-intentioned. There's probably nothing wrong with remembering that. It isn't a prescribed day in the Bible, thou shalt keep this day. But, you know, there probably isn't anything wrong in examining that, examining what happened. The symbolism. I am reading a really fascinating article talking about the symbolism of the palm, and how in different cultures, at different times, even in different whole different religions, it was a it was a symbol. Laying a palm down was a symbol of royalty, um, of uh, of peace. There's all kinds of elements there, and so it's really fascinating to to study that. Not a bad study to do. And. If you think about it, in one sense, we, we maybe can't blame the Christian tradition for developing rituals, liturgies, around some of these things. Because in Christianity, we had a change, didn't we? We had a change from the Jewish tradition of things. And so now we're moving into something a little different. We no longer engage in the physical attributes of the temple. We don't prepare for Passover, or they would call it Easter, with these physical attributes. Preparing a lamb, taking a lamb to the temple for slaughter, the meals that they would have, and so on. So there is a human desire for ritual, for things to follow, to keep us on track. And of course, in in many ways, the holy days are ritualistic in that sense. And they remind us of where we are in the year in our lives, and they're very useful for that. And yet, Lent is not one of the holy days. It is not one of the days prescribed, and, and then also, uh, you know, Palm Sunday is not one of the practices prescribed in the Bible. Not, and, you know, Jesus himself, the one that rode in to Jerusalem on the donkey, defined what they were. Define them at creation, and then recodified them in the covenants, as we know in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So this celebration of Palm Sunday comes within the final week of what's called Lent. It's right, isn't it, Curtis? Did I get that right? And it's a 40-plus day. I didn't realize this, but they don't include Sundays in that 40-day count. Did, did you know that? They do? They don't? Yeah, I didn't think so. So, it's more than 40 days, Uh, a process by which the followers give up a desired item, a practice or a habit, or, you know, and and the range is, it's almost as varied as New Year's resolutions, right? It's, I've heard of all kinds of crazy things, uh, being given up for Lent. But maybe the more spiritual individuals are genuinely trying to prepare for what they would call Easter, unfortunately, what the entire non-English speaking world would refer to as Passover or Pascha. So, they're deliberately trying to be spiritual in preparation for this very important time. It's a ritual practice, getting ready for that solemn remembrance. And I do think, um, you know, there's there's some genuine individuals, uh, genuine Christians in a broad sense. That feel it's important and are dedicated to it and and approach it seriously. And yet, again, it's not something we're asked to do. And it's interesting. You know, why are we not asked to prepare for Passover for a very prolonged period of time? I mean, there are preparations to be made, right? There's, in the physical uh, old practice, there was the getting of the, the lamb ready, there was all of the attributes that would have to take place in the home, or getting ready for unleavened bread, and all of those elements, and we'd still do some of those. But I find it really interesting that we are not given a prescription to prepare for Passover. Because in a deeper sense, the idea that we can prepare for Passover is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. How can you prepare for something spiritually? Spiritually prepare for something that you have no control or ability to affect. It isn't something that we can earn. The Passover was grace. Grace of God. The first Passover was, and certainly the Christian Passover is. We don't deserve it. We can't do anything anything to make ourselves ready for it, right? Because if somehow we could do that, then maybe we wouldn't need it at all. Paul says in Romans uh, chapter five and verse eight, "But God demonstrates His own love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us." Very much setting the context of that, we really are oblivious to the salvation that Christ brought to us until he had accomplished it. That we were just in our sins. And of course for you and I today, all this time after the actual physical death and resurrection of Jesus, well, we weren't even born. And yet Christ died for us. Maybe by some preparation we can become more accepting of his sacrifice. Maybe with some meditation, some evaluation, we can assess where we are in our Christian journey. But can we really prepare for Passover? Can we, or should we, engage in a fast of sorts? Because that's really what Lent is all about. It's a fast. It's an abstinence from a physical pleasure or need specifically prepare for Passover. Should we really do that? In the end, it's not biblical. If you look at the history of it, it's from asceticism. There's a a pagan origin for this. Now again, speaking to those mistakes that we made, a mistake was made at some point to engage in this practice of Lent. And nobody said, wait a second, should we really be doing this? Or maybe if they did, they They had been ushered out of the, yeah, or, you know, met their maker for one reason or another. So, today, we are free to evaluate that, and we should evaluate that. The larger Christian world should evaluate that, because it's taken Christianity down a wrong path. And I would say it has removed the focus from what it should be on. The focus being on, what, the death of Jesus Christ our Savior, the sacrifice that he made, the resurrection that he made, and then forward on into what we'll, we'll look at this. In the end, this Lent, born out of asceticism, is really just a, an odd, quirky way that man tries to obtain righteousness on his own merits. And it's so ironic, isn't it, that we might actually be criticized for being legalistic because we keep the holy days, and yet there's a different form of legalism at work in trying to earn salvation in something that was not even commanded to do. And I think this year is one of those years that should really reinforce that to the Christian world, and in fact, I've seen several commentaries and, and questions being answered or asked on the internet as to why Easter this year is so far removed from Passover. Well, again, because a bunch of guys got together, the Council of Nicaea, and said, We know better than the Creator of the universe and the Creator of heaven and earth, and we can come up with our own calendar because, well, we want to. I mean, I don't know what their reasoning was. But it's kind of ridiculous. God needs our help. We need to come up with our own calendar to assign when Easter is going to be, when Passover, the Christian Passover is going to be, to put it in those terms. And of course, they did. Not biblical. Not in any way reflected in the Bible. Why did they think they needed to do such a thing? God had already set this in order. He had already given us a calendar. He had already defined when his holy days were. In fact, a simpler way. I read several articles that were trying to explain why it's so far removed from Passover right now, and I just got confused myself. It's crazy. And yet they felt like they needed to correct God. And it's almost as though they never asked themselves this question. If the calendar, if the holy days, were so flexible, then why did God work so hard to make sure that he came down as a man and died exactly according to his calendar that he defined? You ever thought of that? All the things that needed to be tweaked and adjusted, and the dials to align things up correctly. That the the Sadducees and the Pharisees would have the right moment to do the things that they did. At the right time. With Jesus right there in Jerusalem. For him to be the Passover lamb for us. I mean, the adjustments that needed to happen in the space-time continuum were astonishing. These are important days, and they are not for us to change. God aligned these things. The death and the resurrection of Jesus with Passover, with the wave sheaf offering, with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then the appearances of Jesus leading up to Pentecost. Very organized, deliberate. So-called Christian practices have have even with the best of intentions, obscured the truth of God in many ways. And this form of, of worship, Lent, is just one of those things. Yes, we should prepare, as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11:27. He says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. You know, not discerning the Lord's body, not discerning and understanding what he was doing with his body. That he was the unleavened bread. That he was the bread of presence. And that we are to Participate and, and imbibe him spiritually speaking. You know, it, so many traditions growing up obscuring the truth of Jesus' body and his blood and turning it into strange, metamorphic, you know, anomalies. And it actually, you know, changes to his flesh in the mouth. Why would you need to do that? You're obscuring the truth of Christ. The truth of what Jesus was doing. We examine ourselves, yes. We should do that, as Paul gives us an instruction. But if we examine ourselves and find ourselves worthy, then we've got a problem. Because it's an odd turn of phrase, isn't it? Unworthily. I take that to mean that you recognize that you didn't earn this. That your practice of Lent... And the abstinence that you took in that period didn't earn you the right for the Passover lamb. That there's nothing we can do to have that. It is just a free gift. Yes, we should walk in newness of life. Take every effort to evaluate how our walk is going, how we are walking spiritually to Pentecost, to resist sin, to avoid temptation to call out to God for his strength in our weakness. We should absolutely do those things. What does it say in Isaiah? He says, "We are all like sheep and have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all." Actually, let's read the whole the whole passage. Of Isaiah 53. I think we many of us read this at, at Passover time. It says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And I just find it fascinating that it starts with a question. Have we believed the report? The prophet is asking us, and we, we should answer. Have we believed what we've been told? Have we believed what we've read and the witnesses and the accounts that we have in the scriptures? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, and he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, by God, and afflicted. I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but in a sense, when we, when we sin, when we continue to sin and we fall to our temptations, and we're drawn out by those, we are, again, despising him. We're finding ourselves back in that old man condition, not esteeming him at all, rejecting him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. We, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears, were silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Do we believe that report? Do we accept it? Do we really accept that we are in here? I mean, it's, it's, it's a beautiful passage. And it's got that King James flow to it. And it is the entire gospel. Isn't it? Laid out. We are in here as, as the, as the transgressors. And we are in here as the redeemed. Jesus is with the sinners at his death and then buried in the, in the grave, in the tomb of the rich. The whole narrative, again, played out with such precision and accuracy, and we have the audacity to change those days and to add additional practices that are not biblical. It's as though we don't believe the report, isn't it? And I'm not saying that the Christians around the world that are genuinely seeking God are deliberately not believing. But there is deception. There is corruption. Do we believe that Jesus took our punishment, took our sin, took our transgressions, and received an inheritance that he will give to us? Because that's where we are, right there at the end. He is going to divide that inheritance with us. I try and read this passage every Passover. Trying to maybe prepare my mind and remember what it is is, that is important. For more, for for me, it says everything. That before I was even born, Jesus did all these things for me. It's very personal, as it is for each one of us. Christ did these things for me. I believe the report. It's incredible. But I believe the report. There is no Lent that can prepare us. There is no actions that we can take. Christ alone can save us. It's interesting, a few weeks ago, I think I mentioned uh, the the scholar and uh, Bishop N.T. Wright and his rather controversial position that we are going to be resurrected where we don't go to heaven when you die, and that the kingdom of God will be on the earth. And I know some of you found that interesting. I was listening to another sermon by N.T. Wright, in which he was complaining, in a sense, pining that the Christian world focuses so much on Lent. And he's like, I wish we didn't just focus one day on the resurrection. I wish we could focus another 40 days on the resurrection. And I'm like, how have you not seen the count to Pentecost? (laughs) What is wrong with you? Clearly a very intelligent man, but still blinded to a fundamental truth. We do have something that is opposite to Lent, that is better than Lent. And maybe we need to look at it a little bit more closely. There's some interesting things in here, and you may have noticed it before. It might just be a reminder to you. I'm going to dig into a couple of those things real quick before I finish. We do have something that is the opposite of Lent, that is better than Lent. It's the biblical, it's biblical, and it is the manifestation of God's grace. Beyond anything that the Christian world can come up with, it's been in there all the time. It's the Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of First Fruits, that is the countdown to Pentecost. 50 day celebration of the resurrection. A 50 day celebration of salvation for us. The template for this we find, as we know, in Leviticus 23, verse 9. Says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I will give you, and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after the Sabbath the priests shall wave it, and you shall offer on that day, when you wave the sheaf, a male lamb of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine one-fourths of him. And you shall eat neither bread, nor parched grain, nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It is. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and in, in all your dwellings. And then it says, and you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, Sabbath Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day that the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. And you shall bring from your dwellings two wave loaves of two tenths of an ephir. And they shall be a fine flour and they shall be baked with leaven. And they are the firstfruits to the Lord. There's more in here, the, the rest of the sacrifices, but there's some key elements that I just wanted to point out. Obviously, we have the wave sheaf and the, and the offering. We have the counting of seven Sabbaths, or 50 days, from the Sabbath that occurs during the days of the bread. And then the two loaves waved before God as first fruit. But of all the lessons we could take away from this passage, there's one in particular that I find really interesting. And I want to point out to you because I find it to be the opposite of Lent. The Feast of Weeks, or the Feast of First Fruits, is not just a single day. I don't know if you noticed that. Because you have the, the wave sheaf, which is a first fruit offering, and then you have these uh, leavened loaves presented, which is also A first fruit offering. It's bookended. That you can look at this time from from the count all the way to Pentecost. From the beginning. 50 days of celebration. 50 days. 5 being the number of grace. Grace multiplied. Grace given without measure. Nothing you can do to earn your Passover lamb. God's grace, and then afterwards celebrate God's grace for 50 days. I think it's a beautiful way of looking at the count to Pentecost, that countdown to that future day that we all want to attend. For the Christian, this celebration, this 50 days of first fruits, is a reminder, a template to follow. That we live and should walk in that newness of life. That we are covered by God's grace. That we've been taken from sin and from death into the life of Christ. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and uncleanness and covetousness, let it not even be named among you as fitting for the saints, neither filthiness nor foolishness nor coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For you know that no fornicator, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. We have to walk in that newness of life, in that new grace, the festival of first fruits that we have daily. From now until we are in God's kingdom and then beyond. Having been cleansed, we walk in newness of life. He continues for you were once darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light or as the ladies would talk about in the Bible study, children of the day. For the fruit of the spirit is in all goodness, righteousness and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. So instead of Lent We have Pentecost. And instead of Lent, we have the count to Pentecost. And we have the celebration that Christ, the first of the firstfruits, has enabled us to be firstfruits unto God.